Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Can we, can y'all, can we say thank you to Gary and Shay Shay and Jessica? And you guys are awesome. And not just for Linus and worship, they've been, uh, if you guys are here at the worship party, uh, I think Gary, how many hours are in a week's time? Someone knows. How much? Yeah, how many hours in a week? Come on. So, Wow. Wow. Yeah, seriously, ask Siri. However many hours that is, I think that's how many hours that double G, 168. 168. Gary Galpin in 167 and a half hours last week for the worship party. And then on top of that, everything changed this morning. And so um, we just knew gathering this morning as a church, we would be... um, yeah, that things would be scaled down. Denise is, uh, you know, she's made a lot of changes with uh, Vessel Kids, and we're having family worship weekend as people begin to cancel on serving. And so I want you to know, first and foremost, before we jump into uh, God's Word, that our decision to gather is not taken lightly, that I want you to know that that decision was made uh, just not, not in haste, not haphazardly, not just because, not out of reputation or out of habit, because we really felt like this is what we should be doing at this time. And so I, we have an amazing board of elders that are, that are serving our church. And so we met yesterday and, and just talked through every circumstance and situation. And as we said on Thursday, if you got our communication, we have been in constant contact with the Williamson County Health Department. Uh, and they have advised us still when it comes to gathering that there are no restrictions. And so we've really tried to just trust and, and stay faithful to that. And things may change. Things may change in the next day, next few days. And so I never thought uh, I would know so much about spreading of germs. I'm a germaphobe by nature, Shay will tell you. And so part of me is loving this because everyone else around me is behaving like I do. So... <laughs> I'm the king of never touching a doorknob. You can ask both our boys. They can go to the restroom and not touch anything in the entire restroom. It's amazing. I've trained them well to be very careful not to touch germs. So I'm thankful that everyone else is behaving like me. But I never thought that I would learn and and talk and have so many conversations about uh, what is epidemiology? Does anybody know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, that word has been thrown around a lot and social um, distancing and all that. So thank you all for being here this morning. And all that to say, I want you to know that we have taken everything we can and every precaution to continue to gather. And what we, a lot of our decision was based off the idea that what happens here matters and what happens here is, is changes lives and is eternal. And not just us gathering and not the one person that's in the room right now who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but in us as the believers is to come and gather in a meeting with the Lord. So as you guys know, this is the last week as we've been last month or so in uh, a series that we've just simply called Witness. And we've been looking for the past month at what it looks like and what it means 
biblically to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And the first week we kind of gave an introduction and talked about really as much as what a witness is, what a witness isn't. Uh, the first time it's mentioned in scriptures in Genesis, the last time is in the book of Revelation over or nearly 200 times in scripture. And so that's been our focus uh, the, the second week, Reed taught on uh, looking at the Old Testament, how God called his people to be witnesses for him that was passed down from generation to generation. He called his people to bear witness for him and what that looked like. Um, and then we, we, Shay and I taught on Jesus and how Jesus was his chief witness. Um, it was John chapter 8, and he, when he went before the Pharisees and he was this witness to who he was and who the Lord was and what he claimed there. And then last Sunday, which feels like forever ago, uh, Joe taught about the disciples in and, and Acts 1-8, uh, where he called his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And, and I loved how Joe taught that last, last week and that idea, like we think about if you've ever been in a church setting, like they tell, they teach you Jerusalem is like here locally, Samaria and Judea is the area around you, like Texas for us, but not Oklahoma. Joe was talking about Oklahoma. I was like, no, we're not, we're not, we're not witnesses of Oklahoma. We pretend they don't exist. And then to the ends of the earth, being around the earth. I love how Joe taught differently about how Jerusalem was this place um, that was uh, in a lot of ways, a place that they weren't accepted, a place of some fear, which seems so appropriate to where we are now and, and what we are speaking into now and how, um, how Samaria and Judea were places that you weren't welcome. And it's just a beautiful way of looking at that. And so this morning we look at kind of the wrap-up and how the Lord passed that from throughout the Old Testament to Jesus being this chief witness to the disciples and now to us and why it's so important that we clearly understand and identify with what it means to be a witness. And so it's been, for me, I was thinking about it this week, it's been a little bit, I'm an Eagle Scout. Any Eagle Scouts in the room? Just me? Wow. So, all right, there you go. I go. So there's a notch. I should get a badge for that, a merit badge for the only Eagle Scout in a quarantined zone. So (laughs) I'm an Eagle Scout. So I didn't learn many things. I learned a lot in Eagle Scouts, but the fact that they gave me a knife when I was, I don't know how old, 10 years old is crazy and a terrible idea, but I had a knife. But, and I can't do knots. But one thing I can do is I can build a campfire, right? I can build a fire. I know how to build a fire. And so this series, as we've talked through witnessing, we've kind of taken it step by step. I've, I've had this image as I was thinking this week. It's like, it's, it's like building a campfire. It's felt like that for us. It's felt like we've been, you know, gathering like this tinder, like this, and, and trying to build this thing that, that will burn. And right, if you just, if you just put, put, put wood on the ground that's wet and you light a fire, you put flame to it, it won't burn, right? There's process and there's things to do and there's things that are important to really get um, fuel to light, right? You have, you have tinder and kindling and smaller sticks and they get bigger and you've got to have airflow and they can't be wet. And so I feel like that's what we've been doing for the past month on this idea of being a witness and bearing witness. But what this morning is, as we look at our own lives, this, is, this morning to me is like the strike of the match, Right, like we've built this fire, we've put these things here that are going to burn. It's a healthy fire. It's ready for flame. And this morning, as we look in uh, what Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in chapter six, we're going to see it feels like a strike of a match, and with with all that preparation, is going to take flame. 
And so I, I know that's a silly unit. If you know me, you know I love imagery and these ideas and what that means. And that's just kind of how the, what the Lord put on my heart. And so I hope you identify with that. And if you weren't here for those, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's really great teaching and a lot of depth of understanding. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in uh, to God's Word. Dear Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for... For me, Jesus, for imagery that you can show me to help me understand. I thank you that you speak to each and every one of us in unique and significant ways. God, I pray that you do that now. I pray that as we open your word, as we read truth, God, as that, as that comes in this room, God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we, you, you would use me, uh, God, and, and use my gifts and skills, Jesus, uh, to speak truth. And I pray that we would walk out of here with a flame that is lit. God, that we would know what it truly means to be a witness. God, and I pray that you give us clarity and understanding as your word promises us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 if you have your Bible. Um, I, we have Bibles over here on our guest services card. I'm not going to have a guest service person distribute that to you, but if you would like one right over there where Jade is, you can grab a Bible, pull it up in your phone, or if you brought your, your Bible this morning. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, and so I'll give you a little bit of context as you're flipping there, as I always like to do. So um, the, uh, 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and if you know anything about their relationship, it's really a sweet relationship between Paul and Timothy, that, that Paul sees Timothy uh, as a spiritual son to him. And you can see it in his words. And if you read the two letters that he wrote to Timothy, you see how much Paul adores him. I mean, he loves him. He sees him like this spiritual son. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy. Um, and in a lot of ways, we're at the end. There's six chapters in 1 Timothy. And we're at the very final words of what he's writing this letter to Timothy. And um, he's, he's trained Timothy up, he's brought him up, and he's put him in, tra- he, Timothy is in Ephesus at this time. If you read Acts chapter 19, you see Paul going to Ephesus. And so he's poured in Timothy, he's raised him up, and Paul is left, and he's, he's left Timothy in charge. And he's prepared him for it, he's encouraged him, he's poured into him. And so he writes him this letter, and in a lot of ways, these may be the final words that Paul ever speaks to Timothy. And so we're at the very end of this letter, and you're going to see, and it's just this really sweet, tenderhearted, uh, but really confident declaration of what he's encouraging him to do. Um, and you're going to see it in his words. But these may be the last words he ever writes to Timothy, and we find out that they're not because there is a second Timothy, and he lives long enough to write him another letter. So we're going to be reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Uh, I'm reading out of NIV. Uh, whatever you've got is great. So uh, let me just read. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this. It says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses as what we've been talking about the past month in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made good, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed 
and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who gives life in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can be seen. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. And so as we, as we were preparing to wrap up this series on being a witness, I kind of landed here. And it's funny because, I, like I was telling Gary, like how appropriate it is these words are for where we are right now. And I, I, I you know, I prepared this and, and, and planned on teaching from 1 Timothy chapter 6 weeks ago. Weeks ago, coming into all of this hysteria and to all the, the fear that surrounds us with the coronavirus. And I love that just this charge that he gives Timothy, that, that he gives us. And it's about, it's about taking hold of those things and going to be and bear witnesses to Jesus Christ. And so, ironically enough, uh, we finished this series today and we are starting a new series next week. And it's a series that's going to lead up to Easter. And I promise you, I planned this long ago, like months ago, I planned this series. But the series is called The Last Days. And no one's going to believe me. And everyone's going to think we're trying to leverage what's going on. But I promise you, that is not the case. Uh, so we're going to start next week uh, this series about the last days. And don't worry, we are not speaking about the apocalypse, right? That will be like a thief in the night. So. Um, but it is about the final days of Jesus Christ. So it's just funny how good the Lord is when you start preparing and praying and, oh, you know, like putting, putting time and energy and effort and prayer into what he wants to teach. And sometimes you get there and you're like, ah, is this, is this from the Lord? And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. All right, God's in this, so this is good. So I love this scripture because it's appropriate not only for what we're called to do to bear witness and be these witnesses, but also a lot about the current state that's going around us. So I just want to look through this real quickly and take out some things that I think are really important. The first thing that is really important here that Paul writes to Timothy and that I think can encourage us to be those witnesses that God and Christ is calling us to be. And the first thing is this. The first thing is to take action. To take action. I want you to listen to these words that are written here. I want you to listen to the words here. Words in these action words. Words like flee. Words like pursue. Words like fight. Words like take hold. You see, in this final letter that he's writing, and, and what he's in, encouraging us to do as witnesses is to take action. He's got these action words. And then verse 11 specifically says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And I love this way that he reminds Paul, like we sing that song, Who You Say I Am. It's about singing the truth about who we are according to Jesus Christ and who, who he called and made us to be. And so look at how sweet Paul is in this. He says, but you, man of God, and if you know anything about Timothy, Timothy is a young man in a lot of ways feels ill-equipped and unable to pastor and lead a church. Now, I have no context of what that would feel like because I feel completely capable. <laughs> but he reminds him in this really kind way that, that if you know, one of the most famous scripture out of First Timothy is, uh, talks about never let, let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers. And he looked at him, he says, but you, man of God, and he's telling Timothy, he says, you're not a boy. You are a man, and you're a man of God. And it's just this really sweet note there where he just reminds Timothy about who he is. Here's his son that, he, that he's poured into that feels in a lot of ways like a boy. 
But Paul says, that's not who you are. You're a man of God. And then he tells them these kind of two action words. And the first thing he says is he says, flee from all of this. And that, that, so he tells him to do two things. He tells him to flee and pursue. And you're going to see in this scripture, in this one verse, those things work together. It's not flee or pursue. It's not flee, but don't pursue. It's not just pursue, but you're going to see how this idea of fleeing and pursuing work together. So the first command he gives him is to flee from all of this. So the important question of fleeing from all of this is what? What is all of this, right? What is all of this that he's fleeing from? And if you look back in this letter that he written, he, he wrote several things he's encouraging Timothy to flee from that are really appropriate, and they're appropriate for now. Um, in verse 3, he, say, he tells him to flee from false teaching. To flee from false teaching. And man, I want you to know that false teaching is so prevalent in the world around us right now. And, and it's, so, it's, it's so deeply embedded into some Christian culture type stuff. And Paul's encouraging him to flee from that, to flee from, from false teaching. And it's not always even what it seems, right? As we see the world can hijack our faith and hijack what is being taught and, 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 you know, people want to leverage it and everything wants to be politicized or whatever it is. And the enemy's sneaky in that. The enemy is sneaking is to bring it in and taking teaching and trying to skew how we see things. So the first thing he tells them is to flee from false teaching. The other thing is he tells them to flee from malicious talk. That's not prevalent today. So we can skip over that. That has nothing to do with us. We don't deal with that anymore. Verse 4 and 5 of this chapter, uh, it says this. They are conceited and understanding nothing. They have, an, first, unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I mean, amen, is that not the world we live in? I mean, how can this book be so real and on point with what we're going through? Is that malicious talk is alive, and, and, and you, we see Christ followers that are bickering over things and, and that there's division within the church over stuff. We see, uh, you know, people that are, that are leveraging and using, using situations for their own gain and their own good. And finally, he tells them to flee from a love of money. He tells them to flee from a love of money, which is famously stated here, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. You know that one, right? Flee from the love of money, flee from malicious talk, and flee from false teaching. I mean, those are so prevalent for us, and we could take heart in that and, and take that seriously about how do we in our lives flee from those things. I read an article this week about uh, there's a guy that whenever the first case of this, uh, you know, this coronavirus hit the United States, that he and a buddy went out and they traveled around the country and they bought up hand sanitizer, 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer. They went out and cleaned out small towns, mom and pop, Dollar General, all these small tours, and they bought up every bottle of hand sanitizer. Why? So why? So they can sell them and make money and mark it up. Oh, man, you want to know what the love of money is the root of all evil? And we've got people, and, and, and if you've been to the grocery store, I have not. I don't go to the grocery store typically. Shay says I can be a bit of a distraction. But... <laughs> But if, you'd, if, you, if you did go to the grocery store recently, man, you've seen that. Like you see people filling up shopping carts of toilet paper. 
and hoarding. And man, if we want to look at what selfishness in the world and the wisdom of the world to think, man, watch out for you, watch out for self, take care of number one, man, that's what it looks like. That is what it looks like. And Paul tells Timothy that we are to flee from those things. What does it mean to flee from something? Keller, what's it mean to flee from something, buddy? Run away, right? If someone's getting you, right? If you're a kid in this room, you know it's that moment. When I was a kid, I used to take the trash can. We had this long driveway. I used to take the trash can out to the curb at night. And I'd turn around, and oh, my gosh, there's something behind me. And I would run up the driveway. You know that feeling? Like, I was just like, there's something here. There's something behind me. And I would run up the driveway. That's what it looks like to flee. That if you've got that, if you've got love of money, if you've got, you know, if you've got this malicious talk in your life, if you're listening to false teaching and false truth, I want you to run from that. Run from that because that wants to take your life and drag you down. But like I said, not only are we fleeing from something, he says this. He says, flee from all of those things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I love those things that he tells us to go after. You know, uh, I was at the park a few weeks ago, and my son Keller and his buddy Thatcher were there, and they play this game. It's called Sharks and Minnows in the Sand Pit. And so basically, you run across the volleyball sand pit, and you tackle one another to the ground, right? And I think, man, they are going to run into those poles. They're going to get hurt. And they're, like, juking and all that sort of stuff. And they love this game. And I mean, it is, it is first graders all the way up to fourth or fifth graders. And they're, they're pursuing one another, right? They're running after the thing. They're trying to get it, right? And so when we think about that, if, if he starts to run from something, to think about what we're running to, right? We're running to righteousness, doesn't say self-righteousness. It says righteousness, being right with godliness, being right before God, that that's what we're to pursue, that we can stand before the Lord right now here today. It doesn't mean that we've made every decision right. doesn't mean that we're without sin. doesn't mean that we haven't made a mistake. But it means that right now today that we're right with God. So if you're here this morning and you one of those things that you're to flee from, you identify with, and I want to encourage you to, to, to run away from that and to pursue righteousness and being right with God. And you can do that now. You don't have to get your life squared away. You don't have to be perfect. But, man, you can stand before the Lord and, and be good with him and godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Right? Those are the things that we're to pursue. And you want to know what to go after this next week when you're sitting at home or your kids are at home driving you crazy because you can't take them anywhere, or people are freaking out and there's fear all over social media, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue endurance. Pursue gentleness. Those are things that we're to go after. So not only to say the first thing, and I really think it's important for us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, is to take action, that we are to take action. The next thing that, that Paul points out is not only are we to take action, the second thing is that we are to be ready for a fight, that we are to be ready for a fight. I love verse 12, right? You could read it in a locker room or whatever, like before you take whatever field you're taking. It says this. It says, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. I mean, could there be a more appropriate verse than what we're supposed to do right now as we walk out of this room on Sunday afternoon? And we are to go out, we are to roll our sleeves up, 
and you better fist up because it is a fight and a war out there. And you want to know what false teaching says? False teaching says that if you become a Christian, everything's okay. False teaching says that if you follow Jesus Christ, your life is going to go well. You're not going to have trouble. You're not going to have problems that God is going to just, you know, financially bless you. And the Lord does, like, he, he blesses us immensely. And sometimes that's financial. And, and there's lots of things that he brings freedom from. So if, you, if you're struggling with addiction, I want you to know that if the Lord, like, like God gives freedom from that. But to think that, that being a Christ follower is just about having everything go well for me, that's not true. And this, that's not what this says. It says we are to be prepared for a fight. That in this life you will have, take, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world is the way Jesus said it. And in these final words, Paul loves and adores Timothy. And he tells him, you better get ready to fight the good fight of faith as he's pastoring this church in Ephesus. And so if you know anything about me, uh, I love the UFC. I love the UFC. And so there's a fight on April 18th. And so if anybody wants to watch it, we should. It's a Saturday. We'll be up here early next morning. But I love the UFC. And so um, one of one of my favorite fighters is a guy named Demetrius Johnson, who unfortunately doesn't fight in the UFC anymore. But he talks about really to be a, a, a fighter in the UFC is not, it's not about, and this isn't a direct quote, but think about this. He's like, it's not about how hard you can hit, but it's about how hard you can get hit, right? You, you don't become a fighter in the UFC and try to avoid being hit. Like, it's going to happen, but it's how much you can take a punch, and so if you do watch the UFC, you, if you know a guy named Nick Diaz, who is, maybe is a terrible example in a sermon on Sunday morning because he's not a very Christ-like guy. But one of the great things about him as a fighter is that he, man, he, the, the harder he gets hit, the harder he fights. I mean, he cannot be knocked out. And he is just tough as nails, uh, Nick Diaz. And so, man, and, and fighters have said that, man, the harder I hit him, the harder he fights. And so it's like this juxtaposition. I'm trying to knock him out, but at the same time, he just fights harder. I mean, that's what we're to do as Christ followers. That's what we're to do as Christ followers. I mean, when we get hit by the world, and if we cower in the corner and say, ow, that hurt, I'm going to go back to my life. I'm going to avoid all of this. Like I put myself out there, but I was much happier before when I had, uh, when I had a love for money. When, when I had a good, strong, nice, you know, political stance that, that, that offered me peace and happiness or whatever it is that, man, we, we start following Jesus and we get hit. And I want you to know, you use a Christ follower and you get punched. You're Nick Diaz. We're fighting harder. And the day that that ends, you can stop fighting when you hit the ground because, because that is what this world is. And we are to fight the good fight of faith and we are to fight for our faith. And it doesn't mean that we are to fight with the lost. We are to love those that are far from Jesus. Those are who we're fighting for. We are not against those that don't call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. We are fighting for them, right? We, we are fighting against all of these things and all the evilness of the world. We are to love those that are far from God and fight for them. And so... Yeah, I love these, these, these words here, the fight the good fight of faith. And right, that could be in a locker room. It, it reads like this, like I'm not, I've never watched all the Rocky movies, but like I could see Apollo Creed, man, telling Apollo, like, man, fight the good fight of faith. And that's what these words are here. And Paul wrote these words to Timothy, potentially as the last letter he had ever written, but it wasn't. 
at the end of 2 Timothy, the second letter and the last letter he wrote to Timothy, Paul finishes his letter of this. Paul knows his time is coming to an end. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. His life is at an end. Paul's at the end of his life. And listen what Paul says in these final words to Timothy. I mean, this gives me goosebumps. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that is our charge. And that we will get to the end of this world and we will, we will have poured it out. We will be at the end. We will have been poured out for the sake of those that are in this world that don't know Jesus Christ. And then we can stand confident before the Lord and say, man, we fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then the last thing he tells him here, uh, not only does he tell him to take action, not only does does Paul tell him to be ready for a fight, and this is really where, where it comes full circle to what it looks like for us to bear witness to Christ. He tells him to take hold. The third thing he tells him here is to take hold. Verse 4, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made good, your confession, in the presence of many, what? Witnesses. And Paul encourages the, the church in Ephesus to do the same thing. And, and this, that's the church that, that Timothy is leading. If you know Ephesians chapter 6, Paul en- encourages them to take hold of these things, to so put it on like an arm. The last thing he says is he said, uh, to take hold of the sword of the Spirit. And to what, what we're to take hold of is our salvation, our life that is in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to, as we walk out of this room, as we think about that bonfire and striking that match, to take hold of that and to hold tightly of those things. And it's like this, I, I don't know, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I have seen the Star Wars movie. but So if I'm wrong and somebody's in this room, please don't correct me. So... <laughs> But there's this scene in Star Wars where Finn, right, he, uh, he, they're battling, they're battling stormtroopers, and he looks at them, and he grabs that lightsaber. Man, he takes hold of that lightsaber, he's like, right, and he goes at it, right? And that's what it looks like, us to take, to take hold of that which God's given us, which is our eternal life, which is our salvation. And man, to flip that switch, and that's what it looks like to bear witness for Jesus Christ, to look at what he's given us, to take hold of that, and to go to war, and to walk out there with that which, which is what he's given us. And so there's some things that he says this, and things that we're to take hold as we finish up. Um, and this brings us full circle to what it looks like to bear witness. So he says this. He says, first, that we're to take hold of things in the sight of God. In the sight of God. What verse is that? Verse 13. In the sight of God, we're to take hold of these things. And that is meaning that as you bear witness to Jesus Christ, you do not stand alone. That, that you stand alongside and you stand with the great I am. You are standing with God in the sight of God that we are to take hold of our salvation and to bear witness to that. And John 8, as Shay and I were uh, taught a few weeks ago, we talked about that. We talked about two witnesses and how we are to bear witness with, and how Jesus said that he bears witness with God. And we're to do the same thing. John 8, verse 18 says, I am the one who testifies myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And I want you to know that is us, that in the sight of God, that we stand to bear witness with God, God has our back for that. 
The second thing he says, he says that we are to, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ, right? The patterned son. It, if you call yourselves a Christ follower, I've said this before, if you call yourselves a Christ follower, you're doing what? You've got to follow Christ. And if Jesus did something, then we do something. And so Jesus was the patterned son that was set out for us. And that is our image. That is what we're to follow. That's what we're to emulate, is to be like Christ in our lives. And if Jesus bear witness, not just when it was hard, not just in places that he was unwelcome, not just in places that there was some controversy, Jesus bared witness with his life on a cross. It brought him all the way to death that he bear witness of that. And, and the scripture says here, it reminds us, it says, uh, and who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who, while testifying, witnessing, martus, the very word we're talking about, and who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep the command, right? That even before Pontius Pilate, Jesus still bore witness to the truth. And in John 18, it says this, that he's standing before Pilate on the eve of his death. And Pilate says, he says, you are the king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came in the world is to testify to Martus, to witness, to bear witness, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Are you on the side of truth? I'm asking you that question. Are you on the side of truth? Yes, this is yes, this is no, this is like, I don't know. This is yes. If you are on the side of truth, you stand with Jesus Christ, which he took it all the way to the end. He never backed off on truth, not out of fear, not out of panic, not out of hysteria. He never backed off, and he gave his life as that witness. And I pray that there's no one in this room that ever has to give our lives for the sake of the gospel. But the question is, are we willing? And finally, he tells us to, to this idea of taking hold of this witness. He says, I charge you, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. And it goes full circle, reminds us who we are in Jesus Christ. We are without spot. We are without blame. We stand before him innocent and forgiven, not guilty. That is not because you've done anything. That's because he did everything. It's because of his blood that we get to stand there blameless spotless, innocent. And if we can't take hold of that life, if we don't take, man, bearing witness that seriously, and I encourage you, and I'm going to invite the worship team back up. They're going to close us out. And, and I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that um, it's always going to be comfortable. And I'm not even saying that you're always going to do it well. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that if we are to keep this and we are to walk out of here and do this, it's like taking that match and striking that match and putting flame to kindling and tinder and fire and to burn for Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and they're gonna, uh, we're going to close out with some worship. Let's stand. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this morning, Jesus. I thank you that we have the honor and the privilege and the, the, just the ability to gather in your name as there are many people around this earth right now, many Christ followers that don't have that ability. Jesus, whether it's out of persecution and it's illegal and they live in a country where, where gathering your name is found to be illegal. God, whether it's right now in churches that are down the street and across the street and in our community uh, that can't meet because of the circumstances of what's going on. 
Jesus, I thank you that we gather in your name, that we could open your word and we can hear truth. God, I thank you that you charge us to be witnesses and being a church isn't coming in a building and sitting in some chairs and singing some songs and feeling good about ourselves, but it's about striking that match, putting fire to fuel and burning for you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.